So before we get to stage today, there's a number of important things. First of all, um, in the Bible Belt today, the uh, Masters is taking place right during church services. Ironic, isn't it? And then also, our Bulldogs, our Bulldogs... So no indictment for the UMD Bulldogs, uh, NCAA Division I uh, hockey champions for the second year in a row. But like when you're like celebrating and you put up like two, I know that you mean you won two in a row, but it kind of looks like you're not number one. (laughs) But at any rate, all that is to say, happy Palm Sunday as we think about this week and this text today and its context. It really looks forward to and centers about the work of Jesus, the atonement, a price paid for sin. Come back Monday, Thursday for uh, uh, an expansive discussion and experience of that. That price paid allows us to be forgiven. Forgiveness is one of those things that should not be given lightly, but also it, it should not be withheld. It is one of those things that, more than anything else, makes the future possible. A lot of people think that forgiveness is about something that has happened in the past, and to some degree that is true. It is about something that's happened in the past. But forgiveness really makes the future possible. What's the biggest act of forgiveness that you've ever witnessed? Think of a time when you forgave. Was it hard? Was it easy? Are you one of those people that tend to forgive too quickly? You can say, how could you possibly do that? Oh, you don't fully realize everything that's been done wrong. You can forgive too quickly. Does your forgiveness or my forgiveness have strings? What's the hardest thing for you to forgive? A personal slight? A family slight? What does your forgiveness look like? What does my forgiveness look like? Is it God-honoring? Or or is it self-serving? What does your forgiveness look like? Is it like Christ forgave you? Isaiah, verse 8, chapter 6. Now, now, typically, some people would include verse 8 with last week's stuff and, and, and make it one continuous thing. And, well, we just ran out of time, so we'll use it to start this week. But also because I think it ties a little bit better with what's going to happen this week. God is speaking. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, that phrase can't be ignored. Whom will I send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? So, obviously, we have some sort of Trinitarian inference in that opening phrase, that opening question. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say to this people. Now, the whole next chunk is something that he's saying to the people, all right? So don't miss that. This is what Isaiah is to say to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears 
heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with their hearts. Oh, I'm sorry, and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now I say that's one contiguous thing that Isaiah is supposed to say to the people because these couple of verses kind of jam us up a little bit because we're like, wait a second, that doesn't seem very fair. Let me continue. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God speaks not necessarily directly to Isaiah. It almost sounds, feels a little bit like a rhetorical question. But as far as we know, Isaiah was the only person in the room. So de facto, he is talking at least around Isaiah. Whom will I send? Who will go for us? The plural, the Trinitarian influence. Isaiah. (laughs) It's like the kid in class who's like, I know the answer to this one. Because he's just had this incredible experience, right? He's experienced atonement. He comes before the presence of God, knows that he's guilty, knows that he has sin in his life, and he experiences atonement. He experiences forgiveness. He's now sitting in a spot where he, or standing, he's standing in a spot or sitting in a spot where he knows he can stand. Because God has done something extraordinary in his life. And to be forgiven, it's the nature of faith to be forward-looking. It's the nature of forgiveness to be forward-looking. To be forgiven is to be invited to participate. To, To experience the atonement is a prerequisite to being in relationship with God. And by extension, being a partner, some might argue a minority partner, I would be comfortable with that, but a partner nonetheless that is interested in the same results that God is interested in. Namely, drawing people to himself. To personalize it, God redeems us because he loves us. Certainly that is true. But he redeems us so that we might be in relationship with him. He redeems us, he blesses us, so that we can be a conduit of his blessing to those that are around us, to share this thing that we have experienced because of his love towards us. Isaiah isn't the first person, and he won't be the last person, who answered the call of God on his life. And God continues to call today. God continues to redeem today. Willing and inviting the redeemed to partner with him. The question is, are we willing to answer the call made possible by our atonement, by our forgiveness? Can we know that we are forgiven and that God wants to use us? And will we act like we are redeemed? I had this discussion with a friend just in the last few moments, right? Of, of, of how our actions reflect upon who God is in our life. Do we participate in the world around us in a way that indicates we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Some might argue, I can't be a pastor, I can't be a missionary, I can't whatever it might be, and I'm fine, I get that. But, but can we, on a daily basis, participate in life like we are redeemed, and in doing so, in doing so, inviting those around us to know our God who wants to be their God, who wants to be our Redeemer. Okay, the challenging verses. Say to this people, so God is telling Isaiah, here's what I want you to say. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand with... (laughs) I did it again. Hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. These are a challenging set of verses, right? Because it seems like God is saying, say this even though it won't do any good. And it's also challenging because it, it seems like the thought that's being created is that God will intentionally cause these people to not understand. It seems as though God's almost inciting the people to rebel. And I get that, okay? I read the verses and I get the same challenging sense inside of me. And there's some of us would say who, who are like, you know, um, I don't know, because of our experiences or whatever else may be like, hey, God gets to do what God wants to do and that's just the way it is. And, and I say it kind of flippantly because obviously that's not the choice that I would make, okay? But, but that's a legitimate observation, <laughs> okay? If, if you make something, It's yours. You get to do with it as you want. Others soften it a little bit and say, well, God is is giving them what they deserve. And others might soften it just a little bit more and say, yeah, this is the observable outcome of a person who has said no to God. And to be sure, it could be a combination of all three. But but maybe it's another device. Because again, Isaiah is being asked by God to say these exact words. Have you ever had a toddler? Or even a husband? (laughs) Who doesn't do what you want him to do? Okay? And you're like, okay, I've tried everything, I've tried everything, I've tried everything, I've tried everything. And so you slip in a little reverse psychology. And you're like, don't eat your peas. Toddler's like, oh, I'm going to eat my peas. God tells Isaiah, tell him the exact opposite. We're trying everything. Let's throw the kitchen sink, if necessary, at them. And you may question, really? Reverse psychology? You think that would work? Well, yeah, if you're dealing with a toddler or a husband who won't listen to you, you, you might want to try everything. Now, having a little fun with it, sure. And I don't need to defend God. But perhaps in the poetry, there is just another attempt 
by a super patient God to get through to a group of people communicating to them through the voice box of Isaiah how desperate their situation really is. And they still can't hear it. And so he gives it another shot. I'll send more prophets. I'll send more people telling you what's going on. Here here are the terrible consequences that you will experience in life when you walk away from redemption, from the atonement, from forgiveness. Here's the reality that without forgiveness, there is no future. Come on, come back to me. And it's easy for us, thousands of years later, to say, how could they not see it? And sometimes I think God holds his head in his hands and says, how can they not see it? I'm not saying we have to doubt everything that we've done in life. But maybe you should doubt, or I should doubt, a lot of the stuff that I've done in life. Am I really on the side of God? And not to just assume because of where I live, the experiences that I've had. Again, we can go overboard and live in fear. We're not supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live following God. But for some of us, a little reflection would be in order. Verse 11, Then I said, How long, O Lord? Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. You've had this incredible moment where you've seen the face of God. You think you're going to die. You get touched by a burning coal. You have the scar on your lips. You have the memory just absolutely seared into your brain. God says, I need someone to work for me. You're like, pick me. I'm next on the list. I want to go. And then God says, okay, here's what I want you to say, and it's going to do absolutely no good whatsoever. (laughs) Excuse me? I mean, it would be like, okay, John, I want you to go up to Nisswan, Minnesota, and I want you to be a part of this church plant, but no one's ever going to show up. And, and you're never going to have any music, and, and, and I just want you to go up there, and I just want you to do and say these things, and that's the way it's going to be, and there's going to be no success. <laughs> I... I don't know that I'd be up for that. Maybe at a very granular level, this is about Isaiah's relationship with God and whether or not Isaiah will trust God doing what he is being asked to do. 
even though the odds of success seem minute at best. Are we willing to be faithful to what God asks us to do? I think any person who's been around long enough identifies with the cry, How long, O Lord? How long? If you've ever had a family member that suffered from addiction, if you've ever had a kid who's gone the opposite way, if you've ever had a spouse who says they don't love you anymore, you're like, how long, O Lord? God says, I want you to pray. I want you to follow me. I want you to do everything you can to order your life that it's centered around me and my son and my spirit. Okay, how long, O Lord? God says, I want you to pray for the sick. I want you to pray for the addicted. I want you to pray for the restoration of broken relationships. And you're like, yeah, but how long, O Lord? God says, I do miracles. Yep, how long, O Lord? Because we know that while miracles happen, they don't always happen. And all of us can testify to Friends who have made terrible choices. Life-changing choices, even though we prayed for them. And it's the cry of every longing heart. How long, O Lord? And I think many people, I think we can identify with the exasperation that Isaiah feels right here. How long, O Lord, will this last? And the answer isn't a great answer. God says, a long time. This is going to last a long time. Why is it going to last so long, God? Because when people make a decision to walk away from God, it's really hard to move them off their position. When someone has resolved to say, absolutely no way will I allow God to have any space in my life, that's a tough nut to crack. And yet Isaiah is asked by God to be faithful even in the midst of no success whatsoever. And I can't help but think about the challenge that that would present in my life. Am I willing to be faithful to what God wants me to do, what his word tells me to do, even when the the odds of success seem minute. How long, O oh Lord? A long time. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people. The land is a desolate waste. This is not a pretty picture. The Lord removing the people far away. I'm talking about the exile. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Places you don't even want to get close to. And though a tenth, a remnant, remain in the land, it's going to get burned again. In poetic form, Isaiah offers what the life without God looks like, and it is so ugly. And please know, if you're at any way, shape, or form attempting to replace God with something else, it is a defeating endeavor. If we are attempting to replace 
God with anything else, success in business, with the, it, it, it's fleeting. It, it doesn't last. You can be one of the most successful corporate raiders that the state has ever seen, and, and it's over so quickly by your own hand. Just crazy to me. This pursuit that some people have, you just scratch your head. And before I go too far down that pathway, I have to recognize and realize the text isn't talking about someone else. It's talking about me. That maybe in the big ways, oh, God's right there, but in the small ways where I attempt to replace God with something else. The, the text has to speak to us. It is real. It is a living thing. The hope is there. It's a single sentence, phrase. The holy seed is its stump. The hope, the stump is the seed. The seed is the Messiah. The Messiah on Palm Sunday riding a donkey towards his death. Towards our forgiveness. Please pray with me. Father, I invite you to sober our hearts. I invite you to appropriately prepare us to remember this week's events. Your son entering a village in which death will occur. And while it is appropriate to look ahead to Easter, keep us in this moment right now. Sober our hearts. For some of us, we're crying, How long, O Lord? How long will I be with a spouse who doesn't love me? How long will I have a child who continues to walk away from you? How long will I have to bear this illness? How many times will I have to pray? For the heart that cries, How long, O Lord? Sustain that heart. Keep that heart strong. Renew that heart. Reward the kind of obedience that asks, How long, O Lord? And for some of us, Father, on the surface, things look right. We come to church and we do the right things and we say the right things. But inside, if we're honest, just us and you in a mirror, we know your second place. Work in our hearts today, Father. Let us be willing to put you in the first slot. For all of us, let us know the weight that your son carried. The weight of our sin that needs atonement.
the weight of our sin that needs forgiveness. And the fact that you are a God who is always willing to forgive the penitent heart. Sober our hearts, O great God. In Jesus' name, amen.